Now let's get into this idea of message number three. Let's get into this strange instructions. Uh, there's some strange instructions that's given right here in this part of the text, starting in verse number seven. You ready to read? All right, let's read from seven to 16 and get our story line for what we're going to do this morning. It says this, verse seven. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. That's a pretty tough times, huh? Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We just ask that you make it bread. Make it the bread of life for us today. Just speak to our hearts. Speak encouragement. Just strengthen our faith. Lord, do something in us that would cause us to be more, more courageous and to be strong, even as you told Joshua. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 What an interesting story, huh? So, so we read some of the story. Let's, let's kind of go back into it and see what the Lord has uh, to say to us about this idea about strange instructions. You know, we go through seasons of transitions, don't we? Life is full of transitions, full of change. And I, the older I get, the less change I like. Anybody feel that pain? I kind of like it to be the same. I'm a, kind of a routine guy. I like my, you know, if you watch me, you'd see I'd pick up my toothbrush the same way I pick it up every morning. I put my toothpaste on the same way. I put my pants on and my shoes on the same way. Start with the left foot and go to the right foot. Every time, every day, I like routine. Anybody like that? All right, I like routine. But sometimes things change up on me. Go with me in your mind to the brook Cherith. Now, every morning and evening, the ravens have been coming. They've been coming and feeding him under the instruction of God. They, they're doing God's bidding. Isn't, isn't it funny that the, the birds are doing what God tells them, but the people aren't? That's kind of one of the nuances in the story. They're feeding Elijah, but something is happening to the brook. Little by little, every day, it seems like the water level begins to decrease just a little bit every single day. You ever been through seasons like that where you can kind of see the train coming? You can kind of see things that are kind of dwindling. Maybe something stirs up inside of your spirit. You know, transition is coming. It can be a real uneasy time in your life, can it? And Elijah knows it's going to vanish. It's going to dry up. So let me ask you this. When the brook dries up, 
does your faith dry up? When the brook dries up, does your hope dry up? No, 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 because the brook is not our source. The God who led us to the brook and gave us the water, gave us the bread, gave us the meat, who sent the ravens, he is our source. Amen? Yes. Amen. And he's going to take care of us. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. But Elijah knows transition is coming. The temptation in all of that transition period is to worry. The temptation is to fret. The temptation is to be anxious. The temptation is to get of a restless heart. And all of these thoughts are going to bombard our minds, don't they? They, they come at you like, like guided missiles sometimes. They just hit you and they explode and they say things to you like, am I really going to make it? Are we going to make it through this season? What's going to happen? Am I in the right place? Did I disobey? Did I do something wrong? Or, or God, are you punishing me? What, what's going on? All of these things and all these thoughts and all these negativities begin to hit our minds and Try to shake us from the place of faith. So what do you do in the season of transition? Do you go looking for another brook? <laughs> We've got to turn to our source. Well, if the brook's your source, that's the only hope you got. You've got to find another brook. But listen to me. Your creator, your provider, your savior, your shepherd is your source. And this little line came to me as I was studying this. Sheep don't look for brooks. They look to the shepherd. Amen. 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 I'm reminded of Psalm 23 that, that just my mind keeps going there through the story. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Not the brook. The Lord is my shepherd. Not my own mind or my own thoughts or my own ingenuity or engineering or my own capabilities. But the Lord is my shepherd. And I don't have anything to want. I don't have any lack because he knows where everything is because he's the source of all things. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he will lead me beside the still waters. And if this water is not good for me or if this water hole dries up, he knows where the other one is. So we look to our source. We don't go looking. I promise you, you can stress yourself out, end up in the wrong place and lose your faith if you go looking for brooks. Hey, that doesn't always mean that we're idle in this season. That doesn't always mean we just rear back on our thumbs and, and, and just chill out until God, you know, and I, we can be very active. Faith is a very active thing. It's not a passive thing at all. But we trust him. We trust that if this one dries up, another one's coming. Amen. It may take a little while. You, you know what I'm talking about? You may, the transition may be a little bit of a holding pattern for you. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Jeremiah says it like this. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your hearts. Read that with me, will you? It's right there on the screen. Read it with me. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's some real important words right there. To seek. Hey, when, you, when you're seeking the Lord, that means you're looking for him everywhere. You're not looking for Brooks. You're looking for him. You're trying to find out what, what are you saying? What are you doing, Lord? What, what's going on here? What, what do you want out of me in this season? We're seeking the Lord. We're turning over every rock. We're looking around every corner. God, what are you doing? Where are you in all of this? That's important posture for us now. You will seek me. And he says, the promise is, if you look, you will find. God's not playing hide and seek. He's playing seek and find. <laughs> it's different. He wants you to find him, but he wants you to put the effort forth. It's just real important. God responds not to your need, but God responds to your faith. It's important to remember that. So faith is in the seeking. God said, and you will find me when you search for me. Now, 
This idea right here has always struck me in the scripture. We see it several times. When you search for me with all your heart. Say that with me. With all your heart. Say it like this. With all my heart. I mean, that's what, that's what God wants out of us. In fact, that's what your spouse wants out of you. That, that's what your children want out of you. That's what your job wants. They want you to put your heart into it, don't they? That's important. That's important because half-heartedness doesn't even get you half full. It, it gets you empty, actually. And God wants you all in. God said, I want you to look for me around every corner and under every rock. I want you to think about me. I want you to put your mind on me and allow me, when you put your mind on me, allow me to keep you in perfect peace. That's what the scripture says. Jesus says it like this. He says, ask, seek, and knock. That's a wonderful progression of faith and pursuit to ask the Lord. You ought to ask him a lot. Ask him the silliest of questions if you have to. It doesn't make any difference. He wants you asking. He wants you seeking. He wants you knocking. And the promise is, if you knock, what, what, what's going to happen to the door? When you knock on the one he's behind, it's going to open. Amen. Amen. Verse 8 says this. Then the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now the word of the Lord always comes to the listening ear. It comes to the heart that is searching, the heart that is seeking again. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now, this idea of the word of the Lord, this phrase marks Elijah's life. It, it marks the Elijah story right here. Fifteen times in eight chapters, from 1 Kings 17 all the way to 2 Kings 2, 15 times in eight chapters in the Elijah story, it says the word of the Lord. That's important because it was the word of the Lord that defined Elijah's life. It defined him. I mean, it, he, he lived for the word of the Lord. He lived because of the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord directed all of his decisions. You notice that almost every time we hit a transition point, it says the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord. He didn't move unless the shepherd spoke. Isn't that what sheep do? We don't move unless the shepherd moves. And sometimes it can be very difficult to just stay still. But our eyes are on the shepherd. Our ears are tuned to his voice. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and another voice they will not respond to. So the word of the Lord defined and directed the prophet Elijah. I hope the same can be said of us. That we are a people who are governed by the word of the Lord. By the spirit and by the scriptures. We're governed by the word of the Lord. Amen. Now let's get into this idea about strange instructions because this is full of some strange stuff, some strange directives given by the Lord, some strange directives given to the widow lady. I found this about the word of the Lord. It almost always, I mean, you can almost mark it down. It's almost a guarantee. It almost always offends the carnal senses. In fact, Jesus said it like this. He said, blessed are you if you're not offended by me. Because Jesus came with a word from a different kingdom, from a different world, and it almost always offended those who were trying to prop up this world and this kingdom. The word of the Lord almost always offends carnal sense. In other words, let's say it like this, we're real plain. It don't always make sense to us. It doesn't. God, have you figured it out yet? God does not have to make sense in order for him to be right. 
I've learned that I'm a finite person with just a little mind and a small perspective and a small experience and a small, you know, I can't see too far past. I can't really see too much around and I certainly can't see way far ahead. But God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the first and the last. He knows all past, present and future. And I have to learn to trust my finite mind to his infinite mind. I have to learn to trust my limited knowledge to his all-knowing presence. And when he speaks, whether it's to me or you, it doesn't always make sense today. But when it washes out, or mama would say when it comes out in the wash, it'll make sense then. Ever had that experience with God? That, that, that two plus two didn't equal four today, but six months later, two plus two finally equaled four. You know what I'm talking about? One of my favorite passages is in Isaiah 55, 9. And I've, I've tried to absorb this in my mind and try to absorb this in my perspectives. It says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth. Come on, read it with me. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's important perspective, isn't it? That when God speaks, whether it makes sense to us, you know, I'm not saying everything that comes to you that seems absurd is God. But a lot of times when God speaks, it just doesn't quite calculate. And here's why. His ways are higher. Now think about the idea. It's, it's talking about planes. His way is higher. Our way is down here. When he speaks, he speaks on a higher plane from a higher perspective, from a higher level of intelligence. And higher is not, I mean, it says as far as the heavens are above the earth. So we can't even put them in the same eyesight, his higher ways and our lower ways. They're not even the same eye shot, really. His ways are higher. Now, it doesn't just say his ways are better, which they are better. His ways are higher. than He thinks higher than you think. He thinks stronger than you think. He thinks more about what you don't think about, he thinks about. He's already put it in the calculator. He already knows. And his ways are up here. We're still thinking down here. And God says, when you're down here, comes to, in contact with my up here, I want you to trade down here for up here because it's better up here. <laughs> here I go again. That here and there thing. <laughs> his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts, they're just, they're just higher. They're better. They're higher. They're different. But make the trade. Live on a higher plane. Amen. Amen. But it can be very strange because there's so much higher. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this. It's real important to get this in your spirit. We walk by faith, not by sight. Say it with me again. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, we, we might could say it like this. We walk by faith, which is a whole other way to live. Not by our senses, not just by what we take in with our eyes and our ears and our intellect and our mind and our brain. Not what we just take in there. That's not that's important maybe to the process, but that's not what we walk by. Lean not to your own understanding is what the Proverbs writer says, right? Don't lean on your own, but in all your ways, learn to acknowledge him. Or we could say learn to walk by faith. And it is a skill you develop. God responds to the walk of faith. But how I many you know we, we kind of mix both worlds, don't we? Sometimes we walk by faith. Sometimes we, we walk by senses. We get all down and discouraged and we walk by our, just what we see and we get so discouraged. Because if you're going to walk by what you see, it ain't, good. it ain't looking good, honey. 
It is not looking good. So what has to happen is like Jesus. Jesus walked in this world, but was able to see another world. That's what he saw. I mean, he saw people that were sick. I mean, he didn't deny that. Obviously, he responded to it. But when he saw a sick person, he looked into another world and said, hey, you know what? Father, won't you well today? I know your situation doesn't look good to the senses. By sight, you are doomed and, and desperate. But in, in, in the world of faith that I'm looking into, stretch out that withered hand and I'll make it whole. So that's, that's some kind of different eyesight, isn't it? Faith. We walk by faith. Let's get into four quick things right here in this idea of strange instructions in the Elijah story. Let's look at the path. The path doesn't make sense. The place he's to go to doesn't make sense. The person he's going to be dealing with and is going to be caring for him, that doesn't make sense. The provision, which is a bona fide miracle, that, that didn't make sense either. So let's look at the path, the place, the person, and the provision. All right, the path. Arise and go to Zarephath. Arise and go to Zarephath. Now, he's at the brook, right? The brook's dried up. The word of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go to Zarephath. So here, here's a little map right here. You see, here's Jerusalem. This is the, the area that Elijah's from. As, as far as we know, Gilead, the, the Tish, Tishbe or Tishbite, he's in this general area. Now, he, he goes from here in this particular region, from these rugged mountains of the Gilead area, he goes to Samaria to talk to King Ahab, right? After he speaks with King Ahab, God sends him to the brook Cherith, or the brook Cherith. And from here, God says, I want you to go to Zarephath. All right? Now, here's the Mediterranean Sea, just kind of give you an idea. This is Israel right here. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom, right? This is Ahab's territory right here, Ahab's territory. Jordan River right here, Sea of Galilee at the top in the north, the Dead Sea in the south. You kind of see this, this, the Jordan River is just a connection between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, okay? Kind of get the idea? I love biblical geography because it just kind of makes the story kind of come together for me. Now he's got about a 70 plus, some say 70 to 100 mile walk to Zarephath, okay? That's not so bad on a good day, but what's wrong with the water supply? That doesn't make sense for God to tell you to go on a 100-mile hike when you don't have any water. That doesn't make too much sense, does it? So the path's not really going to make a whole lot of sense. Not to mention, the track that he's got to go through is the kingdom of Ahab right through here. This is the northern kingdom, and it's enemy territory for Elijah. Now it's his people. But he's hated by King Ahab and all the people because who is responsible, basically, in everybody's eyes, who's responsible for all the calamity that's going on? I mean, whose picture is at the post office? You know, it went out on social media. We are looking for this guy. If you see this hairy joker, you bring him in immediately. He is the troublemaker. It is enemy territory. So I'm going to tell you right that when you walk by faith, it's going to take a lot of courage. Because sometimes the path goes through enemy territory. It just does. It takes a lot of courage to walk the path of God. But here's the truth of it. The safest place for a believer, it doesn't matter if they're in enemy territory or not. It doesn't matter if the economy changes or not. It doesn't matter if the politics change or not. It doesn't matter if the king serves God or not. The safest place for a believer is smack dab right in the middle of the will of God. Amen. It doesn't matter if you're Daniel in the middle of a hostile kingdom. It doesn't make no difference if they throw you in a lion's den. Safety is found in the will of God. That's what we've got to remember that. 
And Elijah has to walk with the perspective is, you can't touch this. <laughs> you know, you, you can't touch. I'm walking right through the middle. Can't touch this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, Lord, I had to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my MC Hammer, that's my 80s days. I can't, can't, can't knock that. He had to go right through the middle. And he had to walk with the perspective that God's got my front. God's got my back. He's got me on the left. He's got me on the right. I am protected simply because I am doing the will of God. And he has to have in his mind. We have to have it in our mind. We cannot die until God says it's time. Now you can be, I believe this. Now you don't have to agree with it. You can be stupid and hurry your time. I believe I've seen some people do that. Scriptures and in, in, in life. But if you are in the will of God, you look at Jesus. They wanted to kill him from day one almost. But what, what was he doing? Pass through the crowd. Whew. Can't touch me. Whew. I'm over here now. Whew. Nobody could touch him until it was his time. I can't go until it's my Elijah has to walk across this countryside, seeing all the devastation, hearing all the, the reports, all the negativity. He has to walk across enemy territory in faith and courage. Ahab and Jezebel have soldiers out all over the place. In fact, Obadiah will say that later on. He says, there is not a place that Ahab has not been looking for you. He's got his undercover agents everywhere looking for Elijah. But again, my mind races back to Psalm 23. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, when I hear that, this is just the way I, it hits my mind. When I hear that, is God's got a table of blessings spread out. My enemies are watching me eat off of his blessings, and they can't do anything about it. Now, I'm not wagging, wagging my nose at them. I want to actually invite them to the table and say, hey, come, come into this kingdom. This table's great. We can make peace at this table. But God prepares us a table right in the face of our enemies. That, that means God doesn't have to get you off just to a quiet place. He's kept Elijah at a quiet place for a little while. But now it's time to get back in the game, son. You got to go back into the battlefield. Don't worry. I've got a table. And your enemy can't bother you. Now, Psalm 27, 3 and 6 comes to mind as well. Psalm 27, I, I'm going over some of my favorite scriptures today for some reason. I just, they just kept coming to me. Boom, 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 like this. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise up against me, in this I will be confident. 27.6 Psalm says this. And now my head shall be lifted above, above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Now, did you see that? The two things that strike me the most right through there is that joy and praise are in his mouth while enemies and armies encamp around him. Do you hear that? Do you hear that something can be going on the, in, on the inside of you that represents joy and praise when everything around you is chaos? That's what God wants for you, is that you find that place where your joy is not based upon circumstances. Your joy is not based upon who's for me or who's against me, what they said, what he said, what she said, all that kind of, your joy is not based, your happiness is not based on all that, but there's something resident in God that can be resident in you that no matter what, joy is present. 
I think Elijah found that place. The path didn't make sense. The path to blessing often goes through the land of opposition and persecution. But remember this, beloved. 1 John 4, 4. Remember this. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. One of the most repeated things Jesus said was, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Because Jesus knew this reality. He who is in, I like to say, he who is in me is greater than he who is after me. Do you believe that? The greater one lives on the inside of us. We don't go looking for trouble. We're not trying to pick a fight. The fight's already on. But we do walk with the perspective that I don't have to be afraid that every day on this journey, step by step, day by day, God is with me and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen. Live like that. Live like that. Because there will be some difficult paths. No doubt about it. Not every path is smooth. Not every path is, is nice and, and got nice little rest stops on the side. Not every path is like that. Some paths are jagged and rugged and hot, bothersome and challenging. The path didn't make sense. Let's, let's talk about the place because the place really doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that God would send him to Zarephath of Sidon. You see it on the top of your map right there? The Zarephath of Sidon. That's Phoenician territory, okay? Now, where have we heard this idea of Zidon before? Zidon is where, if you remember, we went over the end of chapter 16. Zidon is where Jezebel's from. Good old Jezebel. So let me get this straight, God. Now, if, I, if Elijah was not a man who walked by faith, but he walked by sight, you look at this picture and it, it's like, what? Wait, wait a minute. That's Jezebel country. That's Baal country, the God that he spoke against and dried up all the clouds and dried up all the rain and all the dew. The God that he spoke against, the God of Baal, that's where his headquarters are. Jezebel's dad lives in Zidon, which is seven miles north of Zarephath. Her dad is the high priest. He's like the head of the Baal religion. Jezebel is the priestess of this particular religion. God says, I'm going to send you to Zarephath. Now, does that make any sense? And by the way, just so you know where we are, just on a, a regular map, that's, that's modern-day Lebanon in that particular area. Uh, Beirut is like about right here, just about 10 or 15 miles south of there. See what I'm talking about? It, it, it's not a good place today, really. It's kind of rough. But it was real rough in Elijah's day. Jezebel country and Belka, I want you to go there now it's odd that god would choose to hide elijah in plain sight <laughs> he just hit him right in plain sight i'm like the old saying is if it had been a snake it'd bit you he, he kind of hides elijah right underneath the nose of the enemy just sticks him right there in everything just boom and, and, and by the way, he is meeting this widow lady that he's supposed to meet. He meets her at the gate of the city. Now, it just seems to me if you're going into enemy territory, you're going to go in the back door. God says, no, sir, you hold your head up high, put your chest out. You walk right in there like you own the place. And I want you to go right in the front door. 
and the enemy can't do anything about it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Now, if God tells you to go in the back door, go in the back door. But if God tells you to go in the front door, you don't have to bow your head and go nowhere else. Just walk right in. He goes to the gate of the city. That's crazy to me. All right. Now, the place, this gets interesting because the word Zarephath, when you, when you dig into the idea of the, what, what this word means, it means refining. The place of refining. It was a refinery. It's where they basically made the gods to bail, basically, out of the, the metal. They melted the metal down and made the gods. Okay. It's a place of refining. Now, put this all together. I want you to arise and go to the place of refining. You've been at the place of solitude and the place of testing where you just had to depend on me. You were 110% dependent on me over there, Elijah. Now, you've passed the test, son. Now, let's take you to a place where your faith even gets stronger. Let's take you to that place of refining. And we're going to find out that God refines Elijah's faith right there, but he also will refine the faith of a widow lady that nobody ever seems to even think she exists, really. It's a place of refining. You ever been to the place of refining? If you think about it, a refining process, if it's, if it's dealing with metals like, like silver or gold or copper or, or, or some kind of steel or something like that, what you do is you take that metal and you melt it down and you get it so hot that only the good stuff remains. And all of what, if it's silver, all what's called like the dross or all the stuff that's, that's the impurities in the silver, it gets melted out of that silver, rises to the top. The silversmith comes with his tools and he wipes off the dross and what's left is silver, it's pure. Now think about this, what God's doing in our hearts. God's interested in Israel. God's interested in his people turning back. But God's also interested in his servant becoming strong in faith. God's interested in your faith. God's interested in your strength. God's interested in your character. He's interested in burning out the impurities, taking us to the place of refinement. And hey, just to be real honest, nobody likes to talk about this place of refinement because it can get pretty hot. <laughs> it gets pretty challenging. But if you're going to stand on Mount Carmel and call fire down from heaven, you have got to first pass through that fire. You hear me? We've got to pass through that place of refining. Look, a couple of scriptures on refining right here. Proverbs 17, 3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. He tests your heart, my heart. I've got to confess that sometimes when he tested it, it wasn't a whole lot of good in there. So he had to take me through the heat again. He had to turn up the temperature. He had to get some of that mess out, whatever that might be. Bad thoughts, whatever it might be, bad behaviors, actions, whatever it might be. He puts you in the fire and he turns up the heat and says, we got to get this out of you. It's for your good. It doesn't feel good, but it's for your good. You know? James 1, 2, and 4. We can spend a little, little time here, but let's just read it together. It says, my brothers and sisters. Now, let's start right here. This, this is always funny to me. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And everybody goes, yeah, thank you, Lord. Hey. <laughs> right? Count it all joy. There's that word again, joy. There's that word. Hmm. When you fall into various trials, 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. My Lord, this is kind of rough on me now. Somebody told me not to ever pray for patience. You ever been told that? Don't pray for patience because God will test you. Well, that's not, that's not really good advice, though, is it? Because you're in great need of patience. Because a lot of things in this kingdom don't happen fast. So you've got to be patient. You've got to learn to wait. You've got to learn to be patient. Wait on God. I've gotten ahead of him a few times. Didn't ever turn out good. The testing of your faith produces patience. So you go through the fire of that testing of your faith and what comes out on the other side is, is a faith that has mixed in with it patience. Because patience is not me just waiting on the clock and say, Lord, okay, it's, all right, I've been here for three days and four hours. Patience is not about just about timing. It is about timing, but it's not just about timing. Patience is about you learning to submit your life to God and waiting on Him and not running ahead and doing your thing. That's what patience is. And, and I'm not really good at it. I, I, want, I need to be better. But I, my, my motto is, give me patience and give it to me quick. <laughs> you know, isn't that what we want? Give me patience and give it to me now. But he doesn't respond to that kind of stuff. He says this in verse 4, Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So that's what, that's what Zarephath's about. That's what the refining's about, that you don't lack anything. And the weaknesses in you get weaker. And the strengths in you get stronger. You hear me? Oh, that's good preaching, Pastor Ron. That's good. Thank you. Amen. Hey. <laughs> all right just a couple more the person the person God sends him to it, it doesn't make sense either he says to Elijah I have commanded a widow there to provide for you now if you know anything about the Bible uh, widows are really important to God to take care of widows and orphans James says that's pure and undefiled religion you know the Bible talks a lot about us caring for the widow so when I hear the word widow, my mind goes, wait, wait, aren't we supposed to take care of them? You, you're going to have her take care of me? That if you know anything about Scripture, you, that, this seems backwards a little bit. Maybe I, I, I hear it in Elijah's mind. I hear, well, maybe she's a rich widow. <laughs> maybe her husband left her well off. Maybe, uh, maybe she's, uh, she's okay. Maybe she's in a good place. I'll go and see what God's got. So Elijah gets to Zarephath, 70-mile journey. If you go 10, 12, 15 miles a day, you got, you got about a week's worth of journey, okay, close to it. Elijah arrives in Zarephath, and there she is. He knows it's her. Something just quickens in his spirit when this lady is right there. I don't know. She didn't, she didn't have a sign over her head and a bubble that says, this is, I'm here, boom. Something in his spirit just witnessed, and he, that's, that's her right there. That's her. Maybe she was dressed in some kind of black garments, which some of them wore those kind of things. Maybe he, he kind of recognized it that way. But I, I believe it was a spirit-to-spirit -spirit kind of communication because she, he was following the word of the Lord. Faith, not sight, right? There she is. A widow's there, and she's picking up sticks. She's going to build a fire to cook some stuff. Electricity's been out because of the famine, you know. <laughs> anyway, some of y'all catch that later. She's gathering sticks. And Elijah makes two requests of her. May I have a drink of water? Possibly there was a well there close to the gate of the city. May I have a drink of water? And please, you got a biscuit on you? 
Can I, can I get a piece of bread? He asked of her. And then, then it says this. She began to describe her tragic plight. So immediately Elijah knows, well, she's not rich. This is what she says. She says this. He asked for the bread and she responds, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's just plain old depressing, isn't it? I mean, this, this woman, and, and she, I mean, why is she in this kind of situation? Now, let's be real honest. Why is she in this kind of situation? No rain, no dew. Why is that? Well, the Lord spoke it. Who did he send it? Who did he send word? Well, the one that's caused all the trouble standing right there in front of her asking her for bread. Isn't that something? That's, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? It doesn't make sense that God would send the prophet to a lady who is absolutely desperate for her own life and her own family. She's destitute, facing death. Now, this would absolutely shock the natural thinking person. If a person thinks in a natural, when she says that story, you'd be like, oh, it must be somebody else. I got to go to somebody else. But what about a spiritually thinking person, which is what Elijah was? He heard something different. This is what he does. Now let's get to the provision. So the path didn't make sense. The place didn't make sense. The person didn't make sense. And now the provision that God is going to give is absolutely supernatural. It doesn't make any sense to the natural mind. 1 Kings 17, 13 says this. Now, Elijah has been getting strange instructions from the Lord. Now he gives this woman some strange instructions. He's got a good teacher. You know what I'm talking about? His teacher gives him strange stuff to do, and he gives his people strange stuff to do. That's just how it seems to work. Elijah says to the lady, to the widow, do not fear. There's that phrase again. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. And bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. Does that seem weird to you? That he would walk up to this lady who said, I don't have anything, and what I got is just a little bit. We're on our last meal. This is the last little bit we got. Okay, I hear you. I hear you, honey. That's okay. I mean, that's terrible. That's awful. I tell you what, what you got, give it to me, and then go do yourself. She obviously wasn't an American woman. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Because it'd be, what? What you talking about? I feed my baby. I ain't feeding you. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, I mean, this is this is absurd, really. I mean, this is an offense. This doesn't make any sense how God's going to do this, but He's going to do it His way. Because remember, His way is higher than this low-level thinking we've got. God's got a higher way, and and it's going to be a lot better results. Now, imagine you and I, maybe we're in Mobile or something like that, and we walk up to a homeless person. And we're about to minister to this guy, but we look at him and say, hey, man, can I borrow a couple bucks? I need to go get a cheeseburger down at McDonald's. I mean, how crazy would that be? I mean, if somebody saw you do that to a homeless guy and said, hey, uh, you got a couple sandwiches there. Hey, you mind if I take one of those? <laughs> it, just, it, it doesn't make any sense, does it? conversation goes on. The word of the Lord comes. Elijah says, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, 
The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. Say that with me. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. That's another defining aspect of these stories is that they go, the Lord speaks, the word of the Lord comes, and the people go and do the word of the Lord. Elijah does that constantly. And she and her household ate for many days. Notice that. She, he is Elijah. And her household, they ate for many days. And the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. And by the way, what, what scholars believe, that this was some, somewhere close to like a two-year period. The drought's going to last for three and a half years. We believe the drought was already started. Elijah came and told him that God was in judgment over him. And for three more years, he spends maybe a, a year at the brook, and he's going to spend two years. Now, this bin of flour and this little cruise of oil lasts for two years. According to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now, did it make any sense? Just a couple thoughts on this idea of the provision. Listen, because it's going to play out through, through the entire biblical story and through all our lives. Obedience leads to provision. Can you say it with me? Obedience leads to provision. That, that's such a true statement. When God, those saying is when, where God guides, God provides, obedience always leads us to the place of provision. But the opposite is true too. Disobedience always leads you into lack. Ahab is learning that lesson right now. So we got obedience leads you to provision. Elijah at the brook, go to Zarephath. He finds the widow. Widow obeys the word of the Lord. Boom. Now, now when I say obedience leads to provision, that doesn't mean that God's like a vending machine, that if you just do it, that all this stuff just jumps out the machine and there you have it. It's not like that at all. It's a relationship. It's not, it's not, it's not like a transaction. It's not mechanical like a vending machine is what kind of comes to mind. It's not mechanical like that, but it's just speaking reality to us. It's speaking like, like spiritual law, that, that idea that obedience leads to provision. It's just the way in, in God's reality, which is the real reality, by the way. In God's reality, that's the way things work. Elijah's going to taste of it. He's going to have biscuits every morning. He's going to have toast every night. The other thing about provision is this. God can bless in the middle of a mess. <laughs> his, his, his judgments and his provision is not predicated to the politics. It's not predicated to the economy. It doesn't really matter what's going on. God works in his own sphere, his own way, doing his own thing. And God can bless a people right in the middle of a mess. He didn't change the famine. He didn't change all the economy. But he did bless that house. You need to go home with that now. Now, see, we would like God to transport us to utopia, to a place of paradise where I didn't have to be in the mess. But God said he doesn't do that all the time. In fact, he rarely does that. God wants to bless you right where you are. If it's bad and desperate, he wants to bless you right there. In other words, God's not limited 
to external circumstances. Here's the truth. The only thing that limits God is our unbelief. You realize that? That's crazy, isn't it? That's the only thing that limits him. So if you, Jesus comes and says, if you have faith, all things are possible because faith opens up the door to limitless provision. It opens up the door to the unlimited resources of heaven. <laughs> and God can bless us in the middle of a mess. God blesses her, her household, which was, it, it could have, you know, when they found out she was eating biscuits every day, you know, every aunt, uncle, and cousin she had was there. God blessed them all. There's no limit. Now, two, two words really kind of stick out to me in, in reading the story. They probably struck you. This, this idea of little. Did you see that? Coming through the story. This idea throughout this story, little. It, it says this, a, a little bit of water, a morsel of bread, that's not much. It's a handful of flour, that's not a whole lot. You can't bake a cake with that, can you, Miss Pat? <laughs> a handful of flour, she's got a little bit of oil. She's picking up a couple sticks and she's going to go make a small cake. So this, this little idea is throughout the Elijah story right here, but it's also throughout all the whole Bible story. Uh, Moses, what's that in your hand? Well, it's just a, a, a rod. It's just a little staff. But the small staff in Moses' hand helps lead the children of Israel out of bondage. David, what do you have? Well, I just have a sling and, and some small stones. Well, God can take a sling and small stones and put it in David's hands and bless it and boom, it'll kill Goliath. God can take a small lunch, multiply it, and feed an entire multitude. Now think about that. The, the little, the idea of little. Now, we say if I only had more, you know, since they brought all this lottery stuff around and all that kind of thing, we see these numbers all over. You're driving down the road and billboards and it says, you can win $258 million. Whoa, Lord. And you, all those numbers hit you. In the, I mean, you go from looking at $1.99 gas and all this kind of stuff, at 205 and all that, and then you look at this billboard and it says $258 million. And instantly our mind goes to a crazy place and says, boy, if I only had that kind of money, I'd, I'd bless the church, I'd bless the pastor, I'd get him a brand new Mustang, all that kind of stuff. You know you say? All that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you, you, and all your relatives will find you. That's exactly right. And our mind goes to, if I only had more, I would do more. Now, that may be a true statement, but God's not interested in where you're going. He's interested in where you are. Okay? If I only had more, I'd do more. But God says this, give me what little you have and let me use that. But God, I only have a little bit of talent. I'll take that. I only have a little bit of time. I only have a little bit of money. I only have a little bit of knowledge and wisdom. I only have a little bit of energy. I only have a little bit of faith. I, I, in fact, it's just little old me. And you know what God says? I'll, I'll take that. Let, let, let me have that. Because... In God's economy, in God's kingdom, little things are what bring the biggest results. <laughs> the old saying again is, little is much when God is in it. You ever heard that? I think I got a song written about that. In my hand, it's little. In God's hands, it's abundance. In my hand, it's, it's two fish and five loaves. In God's hands, it'll feed 15,000 people. It's amazing. 
He can do that with your life, with whatever talents he's given you, with whatever resources he's given you. He can take it because he is the God of multiplication. He, not, he doesn't do addition. He does multiplication. He doesn't give you what's logically there. He gives you abundantly above more than you can ask or think, is what the scripture says. Now think about that. So in this idea of little, our faith challenge is this. Give God what little you have, expecting him to do big things. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? Be careful. Don't. If you hold on to the little, you'll die. <laughs> but what would have happened if she would have just held on to the little? It would have cost her and her whole family, wouldn't it? Think about that now. The other word that jumps out is this. There's the word first. That was the audacious request of Elijah. The widow was asked, but make me a small cake first. And then y'all can eat. Away. First. Elijah was teaching her a principle. When you put God and his word first, everything else works out. You hear that? Because we're still learning the idea of first in our walk. We, we, we still haven't got first down. Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and what's right for God. Seek that first, what's good for God. Seek that first and foremost and then everything else will be taken care of. But the tragedy is, is we don't give God what's right. We give him what's left. First. Have you learned that idea? Because see, first doesn't make sense. Not in this world, but in God's kingdom it does. So here's some practice. Give God the first day of every week. Give it to him. Give God the first moments of every day. Give it to him. It, it can be hours, but it, it can just be moments. Give him the first waking moments you got. Give him the first 10% of every dollar. See, that doesn't really make any sense. God promises that if you give him 10% and you keep 90%, you'll have more than if you kept 100%. Does that make any sense? No, but it's reality. <laughs> you hear me? Give him first consideration in every decision. Learn to put God first. And if you're going to put God first, that means you're going to have to shuffle the deck a little bit. That means you're going to have to get your priorities right. That means you're going to have to move some things around. That means what, what's, what's in first place has got to go. It's got to go back to second or third or fourth. We've got to reprioritize our life. And this lady was told, you put God first and God will do some amazing things. All right, we're good. So we got the idea of little we got the idea of first. We got the strange instructions of the path, the place, the person, the provision. Beloved, we walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we need your help. Jesus, we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit that you promised would be there with us. 
You're speaking things to us to do certain things that, that shock us. Things that challenge us to the very core of our being. And we're thankful, Lord, that we're not on this journey alone. We're not walking in just our strength. We are to walk by faith, but, but we don't have to walk by faith in our strength. Paul learned that lesson that when I am weak, then I'm strong. Because you bring your grace and you supply what I could never do on my own. Help us, Lord. Help us first to hear your word and give us the grace and the empowerment to walk it out. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to send you off with, with those thoughts. See that, that idea? Go back to that slide right there, John. Angeline. Keep, keep, this, keep this in mind. This idea of little and first. What, what, what little can you give to God? What, what is it? I mean, that would be something between you and Him to work out. I don't know what it might be. Let Him speak to you. And, and always work, be working towards this idea. It's, it's kind of a moving target, so you've got to kind of purposefully, intentionally do it. Keep working to keep God first, because I promise you, when you make that commitment to keep God first, everything under the sun will come at you to knock him out of first place. So you got to work on that. That's a constant for me too. And it's not just about coming to church and all that kind of thing. It's far more important than that. It's about everything we do. Work on that. So I'm going to just send you with some meditation work, just some prayer work. Ask God what little he needs. What is it he wants you to give? What is it? And then make a commitment to put him first. Let your kids know about it. It's important for them to see that. Let your spouse know about it. It's important for them to hear that. We're going to keep God first in our house. Is it going to be a battle? Absolutely it's going to be a battle. Is it going to be worth it? The prize is out of this world. You know what I'm talking about? Amen. Amen. Amen.